Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. As always, I'm your host, Adela Marcy, and this is of course brought to you by AdelaMarcy.com, uh, purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel, where you can go ahead and get your website completely made for you for around like a value of like $2,500 or $3,000. All you have to do is pay for the hosting and they take care of everything else for you. And of course today we are sponsored by my main man, Seth Ellsworth.com. Seth is one of the most badass people I've had the pleasure of meeting in the last month or so. I think like it's even been two weeks. 2015 kicked off in a great way and Seth and I connected and I somehow convinced him to take time out of his schedule to get on the podcast. Seth, thank you for being here with me, man. Fantastic to be here. Appreciate the invite. Man, it was awesome. I mean, I had a conversation with you. I was like, I've got to get this guy on, I've got to get this guy on a podcast. Just so many people are going to love him. For real? Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> had to be. I'm just kidding. No, I appreciate that, man. It's, <laughs> I just love how it's been like, awesome. Really, really I, think, I think really the stars aligned to get us to uh, get together a few weeks ago. So uh, one thing led to another, and here we are. Definitely, man. Uh, good, good virtual friends. I don't think we've ever, we've never met in the man flesh yet. Yeah, so, I love how you say man flesh, and that yeah. my brain just went elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it worse. It makes it worse because I've got uh, unlabeled by Mark Echo, uh, his book. Oh and yeah. The cover. It is like a nice little cover on top, but you can take it off. It's a slide off cover, and the entire book itself is flesh colored, and got like the human body parts around it it's, it's really cool <laughs> so i'm just like okay it's really that's weird. totally mark echo style right there yeah the guy's really cool though i mean i was reading some of the books yeah. it's just such a good book um but awesome cool so all right for people that have no idea what seth does he's pretty much the only way i can actually say is because the stuff he helped me with uh i had a little bit of an identity crisis a couple of crisis crisis a couple of weeks ago and um Basically, I turned into this gigantic reclusive person, like so much so that one of my close friends actually was like, I thought you were an introvert, and I'm like, you've known me for years, when have I ever been an introvert? He's like, that's true, you've only turned this way, it's kind of weirding me out, so he's like, yeah, pretty much. Seth helped me solve that in about 20 minutes, I'd say. Yeah, we chatted, well, we chatted for a little bit, I think it was maybe a little less than 20 minutes, yeah. but when it comes down to it. Uh, it doesn't take very long. Yeah, no, right? Talking about it, each moment is basically a time for you to actually do something, get some uh, crazy stuff working. That's right. Well, I mean, uh, that's something I'm going to pick your brain on later on, but how, how did you get into it and all? Because I'm curious. I know it's like a self-help thing is great for every business person, but how did you, you know, get into this uh, process? Yeah, you know, I never intended to be a quote-unquote self-help guy because I think that industry... Uh, just lumps in all the good and the bad about people that just want to be a good person. Yeah. And you've got you've got the people that are that are sharing models and things they've learned from other people. If you got the people that are just rehashing the same stuff over and over again, and those that really care about transformation and progress, those that really care about making money as the most important thing. So, I mean, the self help industry is really interesting there are so many different angles and um i never intended to be that dude you know i've at the same time i'm 16 years old and i'm listening to tony robbins like obviously i'm not 16 now but okay, it's, been, so a long, it's been a long time and i i was naturally i naturally had a proclivity to listen to that stuff mostly because i care to be a good person and i care to be the best that I can, those two things. And I think it's those two desires that for me, that led me to be where I'm at because I care deeply about other people. I care about identity. I care about people rising to, to their potential because I think a lot of us live below, not just our potential, but even below our privilege. The things in life that, that we deserve uh, we, we settle for things that are less because we don't know how to tap into who we truly are. We don't know how to find out who we are. We don't know how to ask and answer the question, who am I? And for whatever reason, that, that microchip was just implanted in my soul from day one. And I just get it. 
it's just, it's a natural, I don't know how to describe it. It's just part of the reason why I'm here on this earth is probably to do that, to help people discover. And, uh, you know, my journey is kind of, you asked the question about how to get started and all this stuff. Um, you know, everybody has ups and downs, and I believe that progress is never linear. It's more like it's up giant, and down. Or a giant squiggly line, you know, exactly. constantly goes around in circles until you're like, hey, did I see that tree like 10, min 10 minutes ago? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we go through, we all go through cycles and ups and downs and all kinds of stuff. But as long as the trajectory is upward, we're fine. And as long as we have the tools and resources that we need to adjust along the way, I think I think we're good to go. But it's never it's never perfect. And back in 2008, I, that was my beatdown time. That was that was when I was at the bottom of bottom bottom. I mean, I had a basketball career that blew up in my face. That was that was my dream. What happened? Um, I kind of I didn't know this at the time, but really, I I murdered my own dream. I murdered it stone dead stabbed it in the heart and I didn't realize I was doing it. I was unconsciously sabotaging my own dream while I was living it. This is the craziest stupid experience ever. I'm I'm grateful I had it, but at the time it was just pure torture. What happened? Because, because I was living in my dream. It was handed to me and yet I didn't feel worthy of it. And so uh, what basically happened is growing up a I'm an athlete. I'm naturally gifted with sports. Sports really came easy to me, and basketball was my favorite. And I had a dream to go play in college for for uh, Brigham Young University over here in the states. And um, so I worked at it, and worked at it, and got really good. Uh, but for whatever reason, I always felt second rate. Second rate because I rode the bench more than I felt I should. Because other people got to start, because other people got this and this and this, had better shoes than I did, went through puberty faster than I did, all this stuff. Um, and when I finally got to college, after nobody had recruited me, um, I was only ever going to go to BYU because that was my dream, right? So I went to BYU and I, I, I trained as much as I could to, to make it to tryouts. Uh, but before tryouts happened, I, I said, well, Seth, why don't why don't you go do something so that you can get on the radar of the coaches? Because up until this point, the coaches have no idea who I am, mm -hmm. which is not, not a good thing if I want to go to school and have it paid for, right? Right. To get a scholarship. Um, so I work my way onto the Mary Center. That's the, that's the, the, the arena that is on campus there at BYU. And they're playing a pickup game of the guys and a couple of recruits and, and, uh, I was on my way down to, my, down to the court, just totally faking it, like I knew what I was doing, that I deserved to be there. Um, and I got down on the court, and one thing led to another, and they asked me to come play, because obviously it looked like I was there to play, right? I'm in business. And so I, I ran a game with them. It was a game to seven points, and I don't remember what happened to this day. I can't. I, I think I played well, but it was one of those unconscious moments where just pure ability takes over and you just, you're consciously blacked out. Yeah. And you're in the zone so fully that you don't really know what's going on. You're just playing. That was one of those moments. And um, the feeling afterwards was, that was cool. And I went home because that ended up being the last game of the day, right? So... One game to seven points, and that night, I get a call on my little Sony Ericsson brand new cell phone. This is the first time I ever had a cell phone on my own, back in 2004. i never forget. I actually still have that stupid phone. It's sitting in the drawer right here. Next to your <laughs> iPhones and stuff like that. Well. That's right. It's crazy. Uh, but I, call, I got a call from the coaches. And uh, the offensive coach, his name was Andy Toulson. He called me up, and he says, hey, Seth. We saw you play today. We'd like you to come down to a team meeting. I just about hit the floor. You know, here, here's this little kid who has this dream growing up who was so scared but motivated by his dream that he didn't tell anybody, but he worked hard towards it. And now he's finally, he plays one game to seven points after not being recruited in high school at all. One game to seven points. And that was enough for these coaches to say, yeah, we want that kid. That's awesome. And uh, 
obviously the skill sets there, right? Right. So you got the skill set. You got the co coach's attention. Got the coach's attention, and and the next day we walk in. Uh, I walk into the team meeting. This is part of never. This is like frozen in time. I remember walking in, and I was one of the last ones there. I didn't realize you had to be there ten minutes early to be legitimate. I was there like one or two minutes early. Everyone else was seated already in the team meeting. And I walked in, and I was the last person there. And I remember looking at all these players as if they were above me, beyond me, more special, more gifted. They were the scholarship players. And I remember I walked along the back wall, and I felt as if I was an imposter, that I didn't belong. And so I slithered along the back wall, and I found the seat at the very back so as not to bother anybody on the team. And I, the rest of the season had that theme. In my, I didn't realize this at the time. Obviously, this stuff is just playing out, and I'm experiencing it. And the rest of the season was a them and me thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next day, I go to my brand-new locker that's full of all this brand-new clothing, um, two pairs of brand-new shoes. I got my practice uniform there. So I put on my garb for the first time. My issue is what they call it. And uh, I go to my first practice, and we're just doing layup drills, just simple layup stuff. We're just really easy stuff. And, and I do the, my first layup, and there's a pain in my foot, my left foot, right-handed layups. And I say, oh, fine. And uh, I have really high pain tolerance, no big deal, and little pains show up here and there all the time. Go to the, go to the left side of the layups pain in my foot and this continued and there was a pain in both feet in the same place on my foot like the same exact place in both feet damn and that day uh, it that pain didn't go away luckily it wasn't very wasn't very sharp it was just noticeable but over the course of the next two weeks it just got worse and worse and worse and worse when i was playing basketball pain didn't hurt while i was walking to class there was no pain while i was walking to class i didn't realize that I thought there was no distinction and uh, in the weight room, I'm, I'm lifting weights, and all of a sudden, I start to develop this lower back pain. It wasn't like I just fell down and broke my back, but it's just this, this dull pain that just starts getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so as the season is going on, here I am, this preferred walk-on, they call it, um, you know, walk-ons that are basically recruited. That's what they intended me to be. Mm -hmm. I'm this preferred walk-on that's injured, won't tell anyone doesn't feel good enough and how do you think I played with feet hurting in a back that's busted terribly terribly nowhere near my potential so I'm scared for for the the my dream I'm scared for the livelihood of my dream that somehow it's going to be taken from me so I don't tell anyone that I'm in that much pain until Christmas so this was August all the way till Christmas I found out that I was playing on broken feet. Holy crap. Playing basketball on broken feet. That's like a whole new level of toughness right there. <laughs> so, so right, kid. And, I, th I thought I was a badass, you know, fighting with broken body parts and stuff. No, you're just way more of a badass than I am. <laughs> and luckily I had that pain tolerance and I had the dream and I'm not a quitter. And all of that just combined to me just gritting this out in a, in a terrible situation. So... I had the guts to be there. I had the skill set to be there. Finally, at Christmas, I finally told my coach, said, hey, uh, you know, my feet kind of hurt. He's like, oh, well, go get it checked out. And so the expert comes back that Seth has been playing on stress fractures in both feet his entire season. And when the coach gets the results, he, he, he almost slaps me across the face for being so stupid as to not tell anyone that I was injured. They look at my back, and I've got a bulging disc in my back, which if anybody's ever had back pain, sometimes the bulging disc hurts worse than a herniated disc. Yeah. Yeah, because of all the pressure that's built in there. So I'm trying to play basketball with broken feet, and I can't even bend over. Here's the crazy thing. I went through this whole season in this pain, and after he gave me three weeks, coach gave me three weeks off, I came back, nothing changed. It still hurt. I didn't tell anybody it hurt because 
Why would they want to spend so much time and medical expense on somebody that's so worthless like me? Damn. I mean, this is the kind of thoughts that are going in my mind. <laughs> and until finally it gets to the end of the year, I can laugh about it now. I mean, this is still an emotional story for me, but finally it gets to the end of the season and and uh, they lost in the NCAA tournament and I never got to play. I never even got to put on a jersey. Damn. I never I never got to run through the tunnel. That was that was really my dream was to run through the tunnel, come out onto the court, all the fight song is playing. I mean, that was kind of it. Never got to, but I was on the team. So I was living in my dream but not having accomplished it. Mm. It's a weird feeling. Oh, I was man. I was living in my dream but not really part of it. I was on the team that I wanted to be on, but not really, really on it. Oh, dude, I totally relate to that. It's one. It's weird to say that because it's a sucky feeling, and from the outside it feels like, you know, everyone looks at you and it's like, hey, but you're living your dream, you're fine, you can do this, and then you're like, actually, you have no idea what goes on behind the closed door of what's really going on, so I'm here living my dream right now, but I'm not truly living it. I'm just kind of background furniture for the time being is like the best analogy yeah. I can think of. It's crazy. And I, and I think in life, if, if we were to diagnose certain circumstances where the opportunity was there to take that flag and run with it and win, we sabotage ourselves somehow because of our thinking. Oh, yeah. Because of our, our identity. And um, this is where it gets really crazy. Is uh Finally, at the end of the season, I couldn't take it anymore. It's just too much pain. I, I was spending eight hours a day, three three hours of practice time, and an hour an hour or two before to prep for it, and then the rest of the evening lying flat on my back in pain because I can't move. That was every day for me. I couldn't do it anymore, so I went into the coach. Or, excuse me. I couldn't handle the fact that I was facing quitting my dream because I'm not a quitter. Like I've grinded this whole season out and I don't quit. So what I did is I got in a car and I drove clear across the country. I just friggin' left. Couldn't handle the situation. And I was gone in the middle of a school semester for a month. Damn. And I came back and I finally got the guts to go up in, into the coach's office. And I'll never forget this, this experience. I just, I can't, uh, sometimes I can't even get through explaining what this was like because I'm not a quitter. But I told him, look, I can't do this anymore. And he looked at me and says, well, Seth, man, I mean, we didn't know where you were. Like, we didn't know if you're okay. And what you, you were just disappeared. And I, I said, I know. And, and then he told me, how disappointed he is because he saw tons of potential in me. That they were excited about my potential. I'm a, I'm six ten. I'm a tall guy with with some really good offensive skills that they hadn't seen at that school for a long time. I didn't know that. Dude, seriously, you're six foot ten? Six ten. Damn, yeah. I feel like a you magic competitor. <laughs> you probably didn't even know that. I didn't. I'm like I'm six foot tall and to most people I you know, they look at you and go, Oh god damn he's tall. Uh, next to you, I feel like how they feel around me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a tall guy. I'm, I'm, I've played tall sports most of my life. but um, So this happened, and I went home just completely empty. Because here I was, I had my dream. It was, it was there, I had it. But then I went home without that dream in my hand, not ever having felt that I actually lived it. I was more just in it. And it's just this weird, weird feeling. I went home and I remember just staring at the wall. And uh, I went to bed that night, didn't sleep very well. I woke up in the next morning not knowing who I was. Now this basketball thing was ripped out from under me. Basketball was really all I knew at that point. I didn't, I didn't really know what else I was interested in. I didn't know... I didn't have any plans. I mean, basketball was it. Like I was going to do that, and uh, 
I just remember feeling completely empty and worthless and listless and not no direction in life. Just an identity crisis that's just way too early for anyone to have an identity crisis in life. And so I went and I did the only thing I ever really knew how to do. Now, remember I told you that my feet and my back hurt while I was playing basketball. Yeah. And not any other time. Yeah, it's always whenever you play And so that morning, uh, we got a little bit of feedback. Oh, sorry. Can you hear? Is everything okay? Or is that? No, we still got some feedback, so I'm hearing myself. Hold on. You shouldn't be hearing anything from yourself because I've actually just put the mic back in. It should be fine. Okay. I'm still doing. Oh, you can Excellent. still hear yourself back. Yeah. Hold on. Let me let me change the settings again. Because I haven't touched it, so. It should still be fine. The only thing I did was mute it for a second while I sneezed. Ah, that's weird. That's really weird. Well, I'll tell you what, we can pause it and then I can call you again so you make sure it's okay. Yeah, let's do that, just so we make sure it's a good recording. All right, cool. Give me a second, guys. It's going to take a quick intermission between this. Cool. Um, so... I was about to get to the very, very weird thing that happened to me that rocked my world. Right, right. And I didn't realize that. That was the crazy thing is I didn't realize that contextually the pain happened while playing. And so I got up in the morning. This is the first morning of not being a basketball player at BYU. I was done. My dream's over. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I did. So I did the only thing that I knew how to do, which was get up and go play basketball. So I went over to the gym. And uh, I'll never forget this. There's some guys playing there that I played with the summer before. And they're like, hey, why don't you come play? All right, come play. So I went and ran a full game before even realizing this. And at the end of the game, I ran down the court on a breakaway, and I did a windmill dunk. And uh, I landed. And that was like the game-winning point, right? Um, and I was walking down the court, and for the first time, the thought came into my mind, where's the pain? I hadn't been able to do a windmill dunk all season since last summer because of the pain. And where's the pain? How come my feet don't hurt? There was no pain. Right foot, left foot, lower back, no pain at all. I felt like I was finally free to do what I knew how to do. And I went home after that game because I couldn't handle being there. Because I had just given up my dream because of this pain. And now the pain is gone. What happened? And I don't know how our bodies work. But I'll tell you one thing. Our minds are extremely powerful. And it was years until I realized what had happened is essentially I was sabotaging myself and my body because my mind was not comfortable accepting the fact that I was good enough to be a BYU basketball player. It wasn't accepting that environment, so it created excuses so as to not be there, to sabotage and ruin and wreck and murder my own dream. So my mind created these injuries out of thin air. And once those injuries were no longer needed, it took them away instantly. Gone. That's crazy. Man, that's that's actually made me start thinking about like what my mind might do, be doing to me and all this other stuff. It's crazy. It's incredible. The mind is super, super powerful, and and at, I had no cognition about what was happening to me. All I knew was that I had my dream, and now I don't, and the pain's gone that had ruined my dream, and that wrecked me. That was that left me on a spiral downward for the following years of me trying to figure out what on earth 
am I doing here? And luckily, um, I had some I had some good friends in life, and I had a desire. Remember, I talked about earlier. I still wanted to be a good person, and I still wanted to be the best version of myself I could, no matter what circumstance. And that never went away. I don't know, even at my darkest, darkest time, at the very bottom, that never went away. I was still always had this desire. And in high school, and uh, graduating high school, I had this laundry list of things I wanted to do in my life. And at the very top of that was I wanted to be a prolific journal writer, which is kind of a, that's a trophy success habit. If you really study successful people, they all write journals, at least the ones that I know and the ones that I've studied. And there's so many therapeutic and creative and all kinds of emotional and spiritual ver reasons as to why journaling is, is important. But I can never make it a habit. So here I am, I have this dream wrecked. But I have this other intention is to be a good journal writer, to be a good person. And I struggled at this journal writing thing for years. So at this time in 2008, I'd struggled at journal writing for eight years. So imagine trying to adopt a habit over and over and over again, failing over and over and over again, embarrassing yourself to yourself over and over and over again, where you tell yourself on Monday morning or Sunday night, yeah, I'm going to do this this week. It's going to start. Yeah, yeah. Monday morning happens and then Monday evening happens and nothing changes till finally you get so embarrassed about it that you put down the journal and you can't pick it up again for fear that you're just going to embarrass yourself again and deal with the failure over and over and over. This was kind of the cycle that, that kept happening, but I still wanted to be the good person. But in 2008, I'd just gone through two different relationships, one right after another. And one of them, I was engaged to marry her. Luckily, that didn't work out because it turns out she she was gay. <laughs> Not kidding. I can't make this stuff up. And um, the next girl, I I thought I was going to marry her too because she was perfect. I mean, she was an athlete. She was a volleyball, extremely gifted volleyball player. And I went over to the house one day, opened the door, and her roommate told me that she had left to Germany to play professional volleyball, and she didn't even tell me. <laughs> And uh, uh, we haven't. I, we've seen each other a couple times since, and it's been fine. Um, so this is 2008. I'm living in an apartment. I'm completely broke. Um, my rent is $180. My, one of my old roommates corrected me. He said it was 180 not 160 It was $180 a month, and I didn't have the money to pay it. Man, I envy you so much right now. Just simply because I was like, man, I would kill for $180 a month for rent. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, now that would be awesome. But uh, so I'm, I'm feeling about as, as like a just completely worthless. No direction, nothing going for me. Um, the things I cared about have been ripped up away and taken from me. But for whatever reason, this dream of journaling had stayed alive it, the flame still flickered a little bit and so one night february 29th which was happened to be leap year day in 2008 um you know i went to bed the night before i had a streak of six days going in my journal writing which for me that was that was a pretty big deal and so i went to bed that night but i was just super down on myself and and uh couldn't get myself to write in that journal and I remember I'm competitive, but I don't quit. So I laid there in bed for four hours, staring at the ceiling, fighting my own self to do just one thing, get myself, get my body to move, my arm to lift, and to reach over and pick up the journal, which was in arm's reach, and write in it for four hours. And can you imagine how stupid that looks? If I was to somehow just raise up and, and look at this situation and, man, here I want that there's this journal writing, which is something I really want. I want it. If I didn't want it, I would have given up on it a long time ago. But yet I can't get myself to do it. No matter how hard I tried that night, I could not get my mind over the matter.
the matter at hand, the matter that makes up my body. I couldn't get anything to move. And uh, right about 2.33 in the morning, this is where my entire life changed. And I tell all this backstory to get to this one point. And you'll see pretty clearly why I'm so passionate about what I do now. Is right about 2.30, and I don't remember exactly what time it was, but I was staring at the ceiling in the midst of this battle between myself and myself. The best version of myself and the worst version of myself. I was staring at the ceiling, and this, something fell in my eye. I don't remember if it was a little chip of paint. We had that little sparkly popcorn kind of ceiling. Could, it could have been something like that to fill in my eye, but it was like in slow motion, and I watched this thing land on my eyeball without blinking. That's another little weird thing I can't really explain is there was no reflex to blink. It just fell in my eye. But the act of rubbing that out of my eye and that happening snapped me out of whatever situation I was in. And I finally, for the first time, saw what was going on. And it gave me a different perspective. And the thought that came into my, my mind was a question. And the question was this, Seth, do you really believe that you are the type of person that writes in a journal? Now, what do you think my answer to that was? Heck no. Not even close. I'm the worst journal writer on planet Earth. I've only got 11 days. That's my record. Out of eight years of trying this daily journal, right? 11 days is the best I got. And I didn't even get half of that most of the time. Most of the time, I was a two, three days. I'm the worst journal writer in history. And then the realization, maybe that's the problem. And uh, as the realization started to sink in, here comes a follow-up question. And then a thought. And what I was inspired to do at that moment was the thing that changed my life. You see, I didn't believe that I was a journal writer in any sense of the word, but yet I was chasing it. I was chasing it as if it was this thing at the top of this mountain, and I had to go through thorns and bristles and briars and valleys and ups and downs and fight bears and all kinds of stuff to get to that pot of gold at the top. I didn't feel like I was worthy of journal writing. It was apart from me. I was chasing it. I was looking up to it. And never did I see that as in my wheelhouse, as in my realm of capability, as in my potential. And that night, that changed for me. I was inspired to do what I now call the I am method, which is just a simple three-step process that Adil has experienced himself. And um, I did that. I was inspired to do it. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but the thought came into mind, well, why don't you do this, Seth? Why don't, why don't you just change it? Change who you are to match where you want to go in life. And so I did. And guess what happened? I've been writing in my journal ever since, and it's been easy. No big deal. That night, journal writing as a habit, a daily habit, showed up in my life. It just showed up. It's just there. Bam. And that changed everything for me. That was kind of like the keystone habit. So February 29, 2008, that's my down, down, my darkest, darkest moment. But yet that's where everything for me changed. And that year was brilliant. I met the woman of my dreams, who I've now been married to, uh, going on six years. And we have a beautiful family, have a thriving business, and it's, it's been absolutely amazing. But what I learned was simply this, that our mind is so powerful, and our identity and how we see ourselves is the guts of change. That's the guts of true living is to find out who you are and be congruent with that. And your mind allows you to do that. So finally, after all these years, from 2008 to 2011, I never duplicated that experience. So I had this habit that just showed up in real life. I didn't even try to duplicate it because it seemed like just a one-off experience to me, right? 
It just, it just was something that happened. So finally, I get the thought, hey, hey, when you, this, this thing that happened to me, what if I could duplicate that in my life? Because I got all this other stuff that I want to do, not just journal writing, but I got get up early and exercise and eat and all that, da, 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 meditate and all this stuff. So I went and I reverse engineered what happened that night. And luckily, I had it in my journal because that night was when I started that epic uh, Jerry Seinfeld style streak. And uh, so I went back and I reverse engineered it and then I put it to work and I tested it for a few years. And finally I boiled it down to just three really simple things and it shocked me. And these three things over and over that worked for me. I, I could literally do any change that I really wanted, make it happen right now. And so my, the laboratory in life was me. I felt like I was the, the best test case that I could imagine was me. I was so broken and lost. And once I finally figured this out and reverse engineered it into three simple steps, never thought ever to share it. It's crazy how this stuff happens. I didn't realize what I had. I didn't realize what I had felt like I'd discovered. And nobody ever asked me to share it until one time, buddy calls up and says, hey, I want you to come talk about your marketing stuff at, at uh, the Rotary Club, which is a club here in the United States. It's kind of a goodwill club. And uh, I'm like, nah, no way. I'm not, I'm not doing the marketing stuff anymore. So I go, okay. So we start shooting the breeze, and I start telling him about my thing. And he's like, well, why don't you come share that? And so he literally emailed the Rotary Club saying, hey, we've got a speaker, his name is Seth Ellsworth, without even me agreeing to it. So he strong-armed me into actually sharing this stuff. And so I come there the next day, and I got 20 minutes, and there's 10 people there, and seven of them are old enough to be my grandparents. And three of them are kind of younger. And I did my thing in 20 minutes. I shared the IM method and then didn't think much more of it. I, got, I had a good response out of the three people that actually listened. And um, two weeks later, I got an email from one of the men that were there. He said, hey, Seth, thank you for sharing what you did at the Rotary Club. I went and applied what you taught me to do and with my wife, and we've been able to do something in our marriage we've never been able to do. We've been doing it for two weeks straight now. And uh, we're going on three years now where they're still doing it, by the way. <laughs> for them, it was getting up super early to have some some alone study time together. Yep, it's a nice thing. It's just like no, we just argued the entire time. That's what we wanted to do: argue for three years straight. Some people do that. <laughs> it's it's really weird. I actually know some people. I know some women that cannot be in relationships unless they can argue with that man. So without him getting, getting super offended. Yeah. Huh? Without him getting super offended. Oh no, he has to argue back. Like um, I, I dated this one girl ages ago, like in like my late teens, early twenties, and literally it was every day was I'm not a very argumentative person. Uh -huh. Like I'll argue if I know I'm right. I know it's something that's there. But I'll only argue if it's something that really how do I put this? I'm a lazy arguing person, so that means if it's not gonna cost me too much energy and effort, I'll argue with you. But if it is, then I don't really care. If it's something like, oh yeah, hey, uh, that teapot needs to be washed. I'm like, all right, cool, I'll wash it, that's fine. Or if it's like, why didn't you wash it? You're an ass, I'm gonna get into a fight with you about this. I'm like, don't worry about <laughs> it, I'll go, I'll go wash it, it's fine. I'm not gonna argue about that. But if it's something really big like, hey man, you know that you're, um, I don't know, you know martial arts, your business sucks, you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, and you never let, you never finish school. I'm going to argue with that one, because I'm gonna be like, well, you're in a job that has no profession, and you suck, so enjoy, and walk away. <laughs> but, um, no, this girl literally loved arguing over everything. It would be, it would go from like zero wow. to 100 miles an hour in about three seconds. It's like, hey, you look nice today. Argument. It was literally like that. So I was like, okay, this person actually enjoys this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going to walk over here. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I know I know a couple that, that's like that, and they're very functional. It's yeah. super interesting. Oh yeah, they, they literally scream and cuss at each other at the top of their lungs, and five minutes later, they're buddy buddy. It's it's beyond me. It's amazing. Oh yeah, me too. I mean that that's that's the craziest. I can't thing. do that. Like I've 
I'm I'm totally opposite of that. I could never raise my voice to my wife. Yeah. There's also there's another reason why I, I I'm assuming you couldn't raise your voice to your wife. I I have the feeling that your wife would just basically jump up there and slap you in the head and be like, "Do you know who I am?" You're like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, honey. I don't need to do that." She is pretty clear on who she is, which which uh, helps a ton. Oh, that helps. Yeah, for sure. So um, I mean, this this family is a husband and wife that didn't have a kid at the time. Um, I mean, his his business doubled over a year. She's a volleyball coach. I went and spoke to their volleyball team. They won three state titles in a row. She becomes, you know, coach of the year in the state, and then and coach over the entire Western United States, uh, named by the governing body of the high school sports. And so business doubled, relationship increased. They both get their own version of self confidence, uh, major results in coaching, in a team environment all based on this 20 minutes that I shared with them. Dude. That's crazy. That was the first clue to me that, oh my goodness, maybe, maybe people want to learn about this thing called the I Am Method. Maybe I should teach it. And so ever since then, I've been opening my mouth about it, and, and uh, it's been super, super fun and and. It's hard to describe. The results that I've been hearing back are just amaze me every time. Uh, but it's the crazy thing is that people get, especially self help, there's a lot of rehash stuff. There's a lot of different new angles and, and interpretation on things and, and uh, complications. But really, the principles are so simple. And I feel like this, this thing is a gift to me. Because it was so simple that I could actually learn it, and so simple that it could fit in my broken brain in 2008 to actually do it. Yeah. And when people are hurting and they're they're really at a, a, a turning point, a crossroads in life where they need, need to make decisions, they may not have a ton of willpower left over. But if something is simple, then they're really likely to do it. And they're really likely to let that change their life. And this is that for me. Like, it's so simple, it's shocking. But remember, the mind is what moves your body. The mind is the, the thing that overcomes the matter at hand. And if you can tap the same mind power that created injuries out of thin air in my life, that sabotaged my dream while I was in it. The same mind that changed everything in my life by creating a habit out of thin air that I've stuck to since. What if you could tap that power on demand? What if you could tap that power and focus it on obstacles in your life right now and watch those obstacles go away? It's awesome, and um, I think you, your your version of it was was super fun because sometimes people think that all oh, my problems are this and this business, this and this uh, sucks, and finances this and that, and relationship this and that. But you know the real secret of the deal. What's that? Man? Is that we get stuck in life because of our own baggage. Yeah, it has nothing to do with business, nothing to do with anyone else. So in, in your circumstance, we can focus on fixing your business or fixing your mentality about your clients or how much you're charging, this and that. But really all that matters is there's something inside of you where you are not being congruent with who you know you are, and it's driving you nuts. Yeah, I remember we did this, and um, you don't mind me sharing this, do you? Because... Um, you can you can share the experience for sure, but I'm not sharing the method. I'm not sharing. Yeah, that. no, no, that's that's for you because as much as I love you guys, listen to this podcast. <laughs> that's Seth's thing, and honestly, if I did it, I'd probably butcher it and get it wrong. But um, no, so it's okay. So I'll explain my situation. Um, after I moved to London, I went through this huge like just before I moved to London, um, I became a bit reclusive in who I am now. For anyone that knows me and meets me. How the energy is on these podcasts that you'll just notice when I'm speaking is how I am in real life. That's just me. There is literally no um, 
barrier between, hey, that's Adol on the podcast and that's Adol on the street. No, it's that's him, period. There is no inconsistency of him being quiet one place or another until this point. And uh, I got really quiet. My business started to like fumble around, get some big wins, I'd get some small wins, I'll get no wins at all and make some losses and stuff like that. So everything went kind of uh, awry. And then it was, um, I don't know, I can't remember what it was that I put something in a mastermind group that Seth and I are both in about this. And Seth literally just came out with, yeah, by the way, uh, I can help you with this. So I jumped on, I was like, right, let's, let's talk, let's have, uh, let's see what we can do. And he showed me this method. And to give you guys an example, my biggest incongruency personally is Seth identified. So it's good to have a friend or someone that you can be open with identify this in you, which is why I say do it with Seth, because he's actually a really cool dude. Um, because you won't see it yourself, and I can see it. And for him, it was, I'm not being social enough. Like, I, I just spend all my time indoors. I don't go out, I don't embrace the city, I don't, like the whole reason I moved to London was because I wanted to be more, more social. I've got friends here, I've got family here, I've got business partners here, I've got everything here that I need. Yeah, I never took advantage of it, and because of that, my everything else started to get broken. It just would not work, no matter what I did. And of course, if any of you guys, like most of you guys are in business, but if you're not in business, think of a time where you've wanted something really, really badly, and you've been completely, you've been competing and winning at that high level, and then all of a sudden you start losing. You start doubting yourself. And that's basically what happened with me. And I thought it was because of my business. In reality, it was because I wasn't being social. And I think, um, like I said, it was a 20-minute conversation between me and Seth, and literally... I've been reading this statement that I wrote down, wrote down with uh, Seth using the I am method. It's, it's incredible. Like anytime I feel down or uh, upset or I can't do it, I just pull out my notepad where I wrote, wrote this down. Um, I do that and Seth, I'm probably going to go ahead and add in the whole journaling thing because much like you, it's, it's taken me a long time to get around to like the point where I can actually write journals. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I, I write, I start a new year, right? I'm going to start writing a new journal. Three weeks in, I'm like, right, I'm done. <laughs> Just doesn't keep up with it. So now that's that's a very interesting thing. So I'm probably going to do that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And and uh, I remember on the phone, <laughs> um, you said something like, because there was this long, awkward pause at the very end of this. I'm like, okay, is he still there? This what's going on. And he's sitting there, and he says, I, I think my mind just blew. Yeah, pretty much. And what's so interesting about that is sometimes all the noise in our mind, it does just what you said. I mean, we can't see the obvious. And the fulfillment that we have in life really boils down to, are you being who you are? Literally, that's it. And so all this noise is going on, and it's tough to cut through that and find, okay, you know, who am I, and what am I not doing that's congruent with who I am? And how do I change that? Well... Use the I am method and it changes it instantly. But what, what ends up happening is that uh, you've got this statement that you read, right? And once you read that, you know it connects to you and it puts a smile on your face no matter what the results are in action or life. You're reminded of who you are. And this becomes something that pulls you along in life. And a lot of times we feel like we've got the lazy, no good scoundrel version of ourselves is battling the, the valiant soldier version of ourselves. And we've got this battle between the good, the good version and the bad version. And what if you were to just flip that around and for whatever reason you had the good version of yourself as the norm, as what pulls you along in life instead of fighting against the bad, you're leaving the bad behind and you're being pulled by the good. That's what happens when you're clear about who you are and you make a resolve to change based on that. And that's all I am if it does. And it's three simple steps. It, it, it took me, uh, we were on the phone for probably 30 minutes and 15 minutes of that was chatting. Yeah. And in those 30 minutes, we both identified your issue and fixed it, or at least taught you the I am method. And then you had the guts to go and actually do it afterwards, which is beautiful. Uh, but it's not complicated. That's the beauty about it. And 
And uh, that's why I love it so much is because we've got so much information overload that's going on right now that it's just nice to have something that you can really understand, sink your teeth into, and, and that gets, gets results. So I feel really, really blessed to be sharing that. Yeah, man. I mean, something that's uh, interesting to a lot of people that it's, I shared this with uh, Jason Horner, like he's, when we actually did that, um, did our podcast, he said that the average attention span from like 30 years ago, from like the 80s and 90s was 20 minutes. Today, the attention span is seven seconds. Which is worse than a goldfish. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, <laughs> like your attention span so badly. Uh, yeah used so what it what it really does it's actually quite scary is that um just to give you a little testimonial here just like the im method is just so easily ingrained and used i mean especially if you can't if you don't have the time to do this i'm going to go ahead and say as far as saying just leave business just leave everything in your life and go do something that you hate because that's the only thing that's going to keep you quote unquote sane because then you're going to know why you hate it Whereas if you go for like what Seth teaches you, it takes me on like literally a minute, five minutes max, maybe even 10 minutes most of the time if you're being really, really slow to get it done down on paper, understand what his, um, the psychology behind what he's doing and after he's told you everything. Once you've done that, trust me, you'll start loving every moment you're around. It's crazy because like up to that point to give you an example of like how bad it was, I don't cry very often. At one point, I started crying, not because of this method, but before I spoke to Seth, I was just like literally for two days straight, I just cried and I had no idea why I was crying. I felt so defeated. All of a sudden, did this thing, just feel absolutely amazing. I'm not saying they'll do the same thing for you, I'm just saying that's what I was coming from. Right, right. And, and here's, um, just thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, the change is difficult. I mean, there's no. Changes are it, and it takes willpower and it takes guts. I mean, there's no, there's nothing in life that's going to hand you success. You still got to work at it, and it's a daily thing. And even with the I am method, you still got to have the guts to friggin' do it and commit. And you are awesome because you had that. And where, where is it that things are handed to us in life? We got to go out and win it. We got to battle. We got to fight. But when you pull something out of, out of, when you got a tool or, or a sword that you pull out of a sheath that nobody else has that you can put into battle, you win way more often than not. And that's what the I am method becomes is a tool. It becomes a tool that you can pick up and use in life when things aren't quite going the way they should. And uh, that's, that's, that's the journey right there. I don't, I don't believe that being the best version of yourself is easy at all. I think it's a battle. But I think when you have different weapons than everybody else has, you're not left with the default anymore. You can create your wins. You can create your successes by using your mind and your willpower in a particular way. And uh, it's just, I love it. I love sharing it. And uh, I love that I got the opportunity to share it with you. Yeah, man. I appreciate you so much for actually taking the time to do that. And uh, now it's my time to ask you something. I know it'll help everyone at home. It's a little segment that we actually have on this podcast. I got everyone, I got Ryan to do it and everyone else. I like to spring it on people. Um, <laughs> it's no different with you, man. You know, it's got to get you through that. It's basically this. If someone's going through a challenge, for instance, what are the three things? I know the I am method is literally only three things long anyway, but you don't have to share that. But I mean, what are three things people can do immediately uh, to start seeing a result, like some sort of change, just even small things, like three very small things they can do that's not going to take too long. Okay. First thing is an awareness. It, the thing at hand, is it actually true? And most often not, than not, it's not true. So if you simply have an awareness of what's at hand, what's true, and what's false. That changes everything. I mean, that means that, yeah, your, your bank account could be empty, but is are you empty? No. Are you worthless? No. So lots of times things happen in life, and we, by default, define that as being who we are. It's not true. You are so much more awesome 
than your circumstances. You are so much more powerful than your circumstances. So it all starts with a simple awareness about what's true and what's not as it pertains to you. So I would say that is the first thing. The second thing is don't sit around and think that your life is just going to change in an instant by itself. You have to take responsibility for the results in your life. So knowing what's true and false, having that awareness is the first step. Second step is to be able to act on it because your actions is what creates change. And um, there's, a, there's a trend in self-help that is a little bit disturbing to me, and it has to do with yada, 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 seven steps to do the backed by science. Backed by science. Twelve backed by science. <laughs> you see this all the time, this backed by science thing. As if people need a friggin' scientific reason why they can or can't do something. And it drives me nuts because by default, getting into that mode of thinking creates a reactive experience where you're expecting the science to do the change. It's not going to happen. We've got, you want to create a new habit? That'll take 21 days. You have to get this, and then eventually on day 22, you'll have a fairy fly in, and she will dub you the owner of said habit. Oh, man. Or you've got to get all the, the neural pathways firing, this and that, the synapses and the dendrites got to connect in a certain way at a certain time while the moon is at a certain height, and then, and then, my friend, you will be successful. And so we've got this default reactive thinking of science. Not that science is bad. Science is brilliant. But guess what science does by default is it defines what is. It tries to define and describe what is already happening. Science doesn't create. It defines what has been created. More like an explanation more than anything. And also, right. I'll go ahead and take a second to apologize to everyone. That whole defined by science thing is a copywriter's fault, and I apologize on behalf of copywriters <laughs> that have done that. It really is. Let's be honest, it is. It totally is, and it's, vibrant, and it's brilliant because it plays on that really small thinking which most people have. And yeah. it, I mean, you look at the you know bufferapp.com, their, their website, they've got these brilliant articles that are just full of some really good stuff, but all the titles backed by science. And it increases readership, but it also increases poor thinking. Because the reality is your mind is what creates. Dude, did you send me this article? Because I just, I just pulled it up because I just typed in uh, bufferapp and it's been saved already. Mm -hmm. Like, it apparently I save this i don't remember when or why but i'm gonna i'm gonna guess this was just like you doing some crazy voodoo on my computer or something it's like voodoo, for sure it's definitely voodoo isn't it <laughs> i don't yeah. remember any of it <laughs> okay so that's the first thing is getting aware the second is of course getting rid of the whole back by science crap which is again what we all hate taking, re taking responsibility yeah and taking action now here's the third thing mm -hmm. choice boom i am so that, those three steps right there, grabbing the awareness, realizing that it's your responsibility to use your own mind to change your own life. And then guess what? You make a choice to do it. <laughs> Come on. And that's where, the, that's where the rubber hits the road. It's just friggin' making a choice that it's over. I'm done. This is it. I'm moving on. I'm creating this. I'm doing this right now. And there ain't nothing going to stop me to do that. Choice. That's where the guts happen. You have an ability to choose that is unique to Homo sapiens, to human life form. We have an ability to choose, to create, to change, to move, to progress. And uh, you cannot expect anything to change in life if you don't have the guts to make a choice. Flat out. That's the answer. If you can't make a choice, then don't get out of bed. Because your life is not going to change. You've got to have that responsibility. You've got to recognize it and make that choice. It's incredible.
So silly. It's absolutely ridiculously simple. Now this is the point where no one really knows, but Seth has just um like pretty much just stepped stood up and dropped a pen and walked off, but he's only come back right now because uh he wants to look cool. It's like boom, drop the mic and walk away. Okay, just realized that this isn't over yet. But it is soon. But yeah, dude, thank you so much for doing this and being on the podcast even with the technical difficulty that we had there for a second. No worries. You're welcome. Oh man, it's been fun. So guys, go check out SethEllsworth.com. There's some cool stuff that Seth shares uh, via his email stuff as well as like, you know, being a cool dude anyway, connect with the guy. And hey, if you're going through any sort of problems right now, reach out to him. He's one of those really cool dudes, I think. That uh, we'll get back to you. I hope. I will. Because I care. <laughs> he does. He's so cool. Alright guys, so the six foot ten giant uh, is gonna say well, I'm gonna say goodbye to him for the time being. But Seth, I'd love to have you on back on uh, back on at another time, man. For sure. Okay, have fun. Alright. Sure. Take care guys. Again, as always, head on over to SethEllsworth.com. Uh There's two L's by the way. E L L S W O R T H. Cool. Uh, links below as always inside the podcast description and on the site. So take care guys. It's lovely having you on as well. And next time we'll explore some more uh, fun stuff with some more entrepreneurs coming in. Take care. See you.